0: You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word, I repeat, for no word from God will ever fail. I pray someone will grab that and run with it. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. God, I want to pray those words in verse 37 and 38. That your word will never fail. Thank you for your servant, Pastor Amy. Thank you for the word that you've given her. That you've deposited in her heart. And Lord, I pray that this word will find fertile ground in our hearts. That we will be receptive to what you have to say to us. And that, Lord, your word will be fulfilled in our lives. So give your servant the grace to speak to us. Give her the boldness and the anointing to speak to us, O oh God. And, Lord, may your power flow through her, Lord, even as she speaks today. And, the Lord, that word will bear fruit in due season. Because your promise is that your word will never return to you void. But it will accomplish the purposes that you've sent it forth. So because of that, we say thank you. And we pray this in your mighty name. And all God's people say, amen Amen and amen. amen. God bless you.
1: Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Happy New Year. Wait, what? Yes, today is the beginning of the new year. It's the first day of Advent. And in the church calendar, the first day of Advent is actually the new year. So, pressure's off. It's already started. The new year is here. Um, I will ask you to bear with me. I've been suffering with a sinus infection all week, so uh, the devil was trying to get in the way of this message, but we're not going to let that happen, so here we are. Um, I'm really glad that you've joined us for this first Sunday of Advent as we anticipate the coming of Christ over the next uh, four weeks. Last week, student director Jensen Metcalf kicked off a new series called The Coming of God, and Jensen shared that the Advent begins the church calendar year, by looking towards the end of time. Um, Most people believe that Advent is focused on the first coming of Jesus, the Christmas story. However, the next four weeks are just as much about the second coming of Christ as they are about the first. So as we journey together over the next four weeks, reflecting on the coming of God, we're going to look forward and we're also going to look backward. We look forward to the second coming of Christ and we look backward to see all the signs that the Lord has given for his coming and ultimate restoration of all things to himself. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. And yet, before the beginning, there was God. Amen. Before the creation of the world, God existed. He is everlasting. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And before the world was spoken into existence, God was there. God also knew you before the foundation of the world. He knew you. He chose you to be holy and blameless, set apart for his purposes. God loved you. God loved you before the earth was ever created. It's nuts. It's mind-blowing. It's it's not something that we can fully comprehend. But it's in this place, before the foundation of the world, before the earth was a formless mass, the story of Advent begins. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, our God already knew the end. Mm -hmm. He knew how the story would unfold. He knew the first and the second coming of his son Jesus, the coming of God. Creation is the first move of God that we see in Scripture. It is in this move of God that we see what he intended. In the beginning, he created a beautiful, untouched, untainted world of perfection. There was no war, no pain, no orphans, no displaced people. It was an unblemished creation that God made for us, a flawless world that he imagined when he was thinking of you. He desired a perfect and faultless world for each of us to experience. And this desire for perfection resides in all of our souls. We are constantly longing for and hoping for the creation that God intended. We live our lives constantly looking for it and trying to recreate the restoration and renewal of creation. And yet we constantly miss the mark. It's why we crave vacation or we love to travel. It's why we're fascinated by things like earth fervor on Instagram, if you know the account. So what happened? If this was God's plan all along and it was our longing and it is our longing and our desire, how did we move from a flawless and perfect world to where we are today? Well, God loved you. And loves you so much that he desires a genuine, authentic, and intimate relationship with each of us. We were created in God's image and he gave us free will, autonomy, a mind of our own to choose to be in relationship with him or not. He didn't want his creation to be forced into relationship with him or to mindlessly interact with him. He desired and still desires a real, tangible, mutual relationship with us. And in Genesis, when God created Eve from Adam's rib, she was blameless, faultless, walked naked and unashamed with the Lord and with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And now if this were a play, the script would say, enter Satan in parentheses the serpent, the adversary, the devil, the enemy of the Lord came onto the scene and he tempted Eve and he questioned what God said to her and to Adam and using his very own playbook of deception lies, dangling the world, power and knowledge in front of her eyes, he tempted Eve and using her own free will and autonomy, she gave in to temptation and Adam joined her. At once, their eyes were opened and shame set in, and curses were handed out. The world was no longer untainted, pure, and holy. It was now broken, dark, and separated from God. For Eve, the first mother of the world, pain in childbearing and in giving birth would be severe. This was the curse placed, up her, placed upon her and placed upon all women from that point forward. This specific curse is significant because when you look back before sin entered the world in Genesis 1:28, we see that God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. In God's perfect world, he gave the mandate to be fruitful and multiply which comes in conflict with the curse of pain in childbirth that has now been placed on all women. Now, every woman knows that pain in childbirth is just a small part of this curse. The curse in each woman's life actually starts when a woman hits puberty and menstruation begins. Every single month, women endure the loss of blood, The loss of energy, the loss of dignity, the loss of sanity as hormones bounce around all over the place. In addition, many women experience extreme cramps every single month as this curse truly takes hold of our lives. Then the curse continues with things like ovarian cyst, endometriosis, and fibroids, which often lead to extreme pain and sometimes infertility. The curse brought about brokenness and pain in what should be the most sacred, beautiful moment of creation, the bringing in of new life. When God imagined me before the foundation of the world, he did not imagine a woman who would have severe cramping monthly that would often lead me to be curled up on the floor and pass out in pain. He did not imagine that I would have a grand mal seizure and emergency surgery when I was 19 years old to remove a bleeding ovarian cyst. Before creation was spoken into existence, God did not imagine that I would not be able to get pregnant and give birth to biological children. He also did not hope for me to one day plead with a doctor at the age of 41 to please take the pain away through a hysterectomy which was quite extensive because of all, all the damage inside my body. When I was a thought in God's mind before the creation of the world, he did not plan for my body to experience the turmoil and challenges that it has. But when sin entered in, into the world, it brought about great destruction, struggle, and death. And we bear witness to the evidence of this sin throughout Scripture. We see that bread is scarce, kings are corrupt, brothers murder brothers, and women are barren. And this last sign of sin, barren women, is prevalent throughout the Old Testament, not only as a sign of sin's effects, but also as one of the primary symbols that God is at work to reverse Eve's curse. When we meet women like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Tamar, Ruth, Hannah, and Elizabeth, each so significant in Israel's history. They are either barren or without the hope of children. Sarah, Rebecca, Tamar, Ruth, are women who carry the generational line to Jesus, the Messiah. And then we have Elizabeth from today's text who bears witness to the Messiah with her baby, John the Baptist, in her womb, who is the first to acknowledge the presence of the Lord. God, the creator of life, brings hope and new life where there is hopelessness and death. In each of these women's lives, there is a miracle moment when they all get pregnant and they give birth. One of the most important signs of the coming kingdom of God is the reversal of barrenness. It represents not only life from death, but specifically the coming seed of the Messiah who will crush death and the serpent forever, just like we see portrayed in the art image for this week's sermon, where the serpent surrounds Eve and yet Mary, carrying Jesus in her womb, crushes the serpent's head. In Genesis 3:15, when God curses the serpent, he speaks prophetically over him. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God declared that it would be through Eve's offspring and the miraculous virgin birth that Jesus would ultimately have victory over the serpent crushing his head. And when sin entered the world, the curse of infertility, pain, and suffering, not just in childbirth, but in every sphere of humanity, entered the world as as well. Sin brought about curses like infertility and debilitating conditions through entities like Freemasonry and witchcraft, whose beliefs and initiation rituals speak curses over women's fertility. Sin created orphans, poverty, racism, abortion, injustice, refugees, and war. Sin brought about the need for adoption, for foster care, for humanitarian aid, and peace talks. At creation, God did not imagine me in my struggles or you in your pain. That was not his plan for me or for you, but he knew them. Before creation, he knew what we would endure. He knew what we would have to go through. And his heart breaks and he grieves with tears for all the pain that you and I and others around the world have had to go through and continue to go through as a result of sin entering the world. So, how do we persist or keep going when the world is so bleak and dark and desperate? How do we keep moving forward and hold on to hope? The story of Christmas is the glimmer of hope. It is a sign, a sign that points to redemption and restoration. It is the beginning of a solution to the pain and suffering of this world. Amen. It is a light breaking through the darkness yeah. of a lost and broken world. And our scripture for today, our story starts with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Scripture says that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Similar to Abraham and Sarah and some of the other women I've already mentioned, God was ready to give a sign of redemption through miraculously allowing these women, presumed to be barren, to get pregnant in their old age. He was getting ready to do a new thing. Have you ever been in the middle of something terrible or horrific and there's a glimmer of hope there's something that brings you joy or makes you smile or laugh well I've been following the news from Israel and Gaza quite closely since I have taken teams from our church there and I plan to take teams in the in May I've been entrenched in the news in the stories and I've been entrenched in prayer It's a place and a people whom I've grown to deeply love. There's so much devastation, pain, death, and darkness surrounding the events of October 7th in Israel and the following and continued siege in Gaza. And while we were grateful for a seven-day truce, it's not enough. We certainly know that it's not resolved yet. However, in the midst of thousands of children and families who have been killed and displaced, there have been moments of hope. There have been scenes of children still full of life and laughter, displaced families creating makeshift stoves over uh, a fire to prepare traditional meals. One father of three traveled eight hours in a wheelchair under continual bombing just to make sure his four-month-old son could receive his vaccinations. Another father pushed his son for five hours through the rubble in a wheelchair because his son's leg had just been amputated and they didn't want to miss the appointment with the doctor. We've seen Israelis and Palestinians unite together across lines of nationality and race to pray and cry out and support one another. And most recently, we've seen beautiful reunions as the release of many hostages and those placed in Israeli prisons, mostly women and children, return to their families. Glimmers of hope in the middle of war, glimpses of light in such utter darkness, and moments of peace in the midst of chaos and destruction. This is what Advent, and particularly the story of Jesus' birth and Christmas, is all about a glimpse of hope and a glimmer of joy in the midst of pain and suffering, a miraculous sign pointing to God doing a new thing and ushering in the kingdom of God. 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 7, there's a foretelling of this glimmer of hope and this sign from God. King Ahaz and the prophet Isaiah are uh, engaging in conversation orchestrated by God. The two are speaking with one another and the Lord is speaking through each of them. The prophet Isaiah prophetically speaks these words from the Lord starting in verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God declares years before the birth and the arrival of Jesus that he will give a sign. A virgin birth, a son, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. A virgin birth. throughout the history of Israel, women have struggled with barrenness in Jesus' own bloodline, women struggled to get pregnant. Even Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, was childless and thought to be barren and had suffered. Eve, the first mother of the world, had put a cur- had a curse put up on her Amen. that would be passed down. TO ALL WOMEN RELATED TO PAIN AND SUFFERING in CHILDBIRTH. BUT THE LORD HIMSELF WILL GIVE YOU A SIGN. A VIRGIN WILL CONCEIVE. GOD CHOSE THE IMPOSSIBLE AND MIRACULOUS SIGN. A SIGN THAT BEGINS THE PROCESS OF CANCELING THE ORIGINAL CURSE. A SIGN THAT ONLY GOD CAN MAKE HAPPEN. THAT POINTS TO A NEW THING AND THE RENEWAL OF ALL THINGS. Throughout history, there's been resistance, even among some Christians, in believing in a virgin birth. Does the Apostles' Creed really need to have this line, born of the Virgin Mary? Does it really need to say this in the core creed of the church that's been embraced for almost 2,000 years? But when we understand the grand story revealed in Scripture, we begin to see the centrality of the virgin birth as a part of God's redemptive plan. It is and is meant to be a unique occurrence. As I've already mentioned, there are a number of miraculous births where women beyond the age of childbearing were miraculously given the opportunity to have children, but there's no precedent for conception without a human father. There are many things that I could say and have been said about the case for a virgin birth, but suffice it to say that we serve a God who is all about the miraculous. He's really into miracles. He takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary and unexplainable. (coughs) Excuse me. The virgin birth points to Christ's deity and divinity, which sets Jesus apart from every other human who ever lived or ever will live. It's a miraculous mystery that requires faith to believe. Jesus' birth, the first coming of God, God, a sign of the coming of the kingdom. It's a glimpse in the darkness. Jesus is God in the flesh, the only perfect human to ever walk on this earth. And Jesus' birth is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. Which means that even though there is still brokenness in the world, there's still war, suffering, and desolation, we now have hope. Mm-hmm. In the darkness that surrounds us, we now have the light of Christ that shines, and the darkness will not overcome it. Amen. God brought a miraculous sign of hope through the virgin birth and the life of Jesus. <clears throat> when God brought Jesus into the world through Mary, it was a miraculous moment after a long span of silence. God had not spoken to the people of Israel for nearly 400 years. All the while, the brokenness, desperation, darkness, and death of the world persisted. The need for hope and for redemption was palpable. God's choice for this sign was unassuming, humble, and understated, well, at least from the outside looking in. He chose a poor teenage girl, not the likely suspect. Now for Mary, this encounter from the angel was not unassuming or understated. She's going about her daily life, an angel shows up out of nowhere, tells her not to be afraid, and that she's highly favored, that she will conceive through the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Messiah. It seemed like a conversation that may have lasted about three or four minutes. And Mary's like, I'm in. Can you even imagine? I mean, I've been to Nazareth, though I think that I should be able to envision it a little bit more. But it seems unfathomable. And yet, even in this miracle birth, even in the impossible being made possible, it is still just a sign of what is yet to come. It it points to the reversal of barrenness once and for all. It gives nod to that curse being broken. However, I can almost guarantee to you that even though Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit, she still had labor pains during childbirth without an epidural and in meager conditions. And her pain was not just contained to giving birth. She was a pregnant, unwed mother In in a culture where that was completely forbidden, prior to a dream from the Lord, Joseph planned to quietly divorce her. She must have felt the pain and emotional desolation of loneliness and fear in the midst of carrying the Messiah. The birth of Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus made redemption possible. However, darkness still rules and reigns on this earth. Infertility still exists and labor pains still persist. The birth of Jesus was a sign of the kingdom of God, but we are still waiting for the second coming and the renewal of all things. The first coming of Jesus is absolutely glorious and even unfathomable, but it is still only a sign pointing to the moment when God will make all things right. The sign that God is using now in 2023 to point to the second coming of Christ, the redemption of the world and the kingdom of God is the church. God's church becomes the sign of hope and redemption. You are a sign of the kingdom of God. We as the church collectively and individually point people to the restoration and the renewal of all things. A day when there will be no more suffering and no more pain. So how do we practically point people to the second coming of Christ? How do these signs impact our lives today? How do we cling to hope in the midst of so much darkness? When we rally together to surround and help one refugee family as a life group here at the district church, like Mark and Jackie Sawyer's life group, along with others, it will scarcely make a dent in the vast extensive crisis of 117.2 million refugees or displaced people throughout the world. We may have some skeptics among us who say, one family? Is that all? What good will that do? But it is a sign. It is a hidden but nonetheless tangible sign of us building for the kingdom of God to break through. This sign, this glimmer of hope, this light in the darkness is what the birth of Jesus is all about. Mm -hmm. When we have weekly worship services and share a meal with those in recovery at Samaritan Inns, it's a sign of the kingdom of God. When we surround a family fostering children through DC 127 to support the children and the adults in that situation, it's a sign of light breaking through the darkness. Did the birth of Jesus make everything right immediately? Did the angels sing glory to God in the highest, and all of a sudden the poor um, teenage shepherds had all the money and the resources that they needed? Did Herod, king of Judah, get wind of Jesus' birth and have a change of heart, refraining from the order to kill and slaughter all baby boys two and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem? No. Very little was made right with the socioeconomic and political conditions of the world with the birth of Jesus. But in the spiritual realm, things were lit. Things were shifting in the spiritual realm from one era of glory to another era of glory. Glory upon glory. The kingdom of God was invading earth. Heaven was coming down to be among us. It was a sign of God's ultimate plan elizabeth had a baby in her old age mary conceived through the power of the holy spirit joseph had a dream from an angel of the lord that shifted his heart the shepherds saw angels it's all incredibly miraculous some would even say unbelievable Mm -hmm. and yet it's all a subtle understated and humble sign pointing to the kingdom of god pointing to the coming of god and the hope of redemption For a dark and lost world. Mary was the one who knew the sign better than anyone. She was intimately acquainted with the sign from the Lord. Although young and poor, Mary was the first disciple of Jesus, the first person to follow him. Mary said yes to Jesus as the Messiah before anyone else. She willingly sacrificed her body and her reputation to bear the Savior of the world. Mary carried the hope for the world in her body, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, she gave birth to redemption so that the world might be redeemed and reconciled to God through Jesus. May we all live our lives like Mary, the first disciple willing to risk it all, to give of ourselves fully to the purposes and plans of God. After the angel told Mary that she would conceive, the angel also informed Mary of another sign from the Lord, that her cousin Elizabeth would have a child in her old age. So after this visitation from the angel, you better bet Mary quickly travels down to a town in Judea where uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah lived. I'm sure one of her main goals was to see if everything that the angel said was true. Upon her arrival, Scripture says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth, formerly childless and barren, now several months pregnant, and Mary, a pregnant virgin who conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, encountering and affirming the coming Messiah together. It's all quite mysteriously unimaginable and yet quite ordinary. Two pregnant women exchanging stories and exchanging the miraculous encounter with God on high. Elizabeth's response without Mary saying a word was pretty incredible. The Holy Spirit gave her a word of knowledge to let her know what was up. Because it wasn't as if Mary sent a, you know, a text or a telegram ahead of time to say, hey, this is what's happening with me. The natural and the ordinary colliding with the miraculous power of God. Naturally supernatural. This is what living with the sign of the coming Christ looks like. As followers of Jesus, we carry within us the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk through an ordinary world encountering evil and darkness and yet ushering in the power of God. It's an extraordinary experience. We each have the opportunity to be a sign of the coming Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. God still wants to do miracles today in you and through you as a sign of his power and his kingdom. At the end of Mary's encounter with Elizabeth, she breaks out into song, and her song speaks prophetically about what the birth and the life of Christ will bring. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is a call for each of us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as a sign of the kingdom of God. We are to extend mercy, to seek the Holy Spirit's power, to see God do mighty deeds, to partner with the Lord, to see those who are humble raised into high places and to help those who are hungry be fed. During this Advent season, as we sit in the hope of Christ, surrounded by darkness and suffering, longing for the second coming of Christ, may our lives be like Mary, the first disciple, giving of ourselves Bringing honor and glory to God, always pointing to Jesus. May we embrace and intimately get to know the Savior of this world. And may we partner with Christ to be a sign of the coming of God. God imagined a flawless creation, sin disrupted his perfect plan, and the birth, life, Death and resurrection of Jesus made redemption possible. God is taking an old hope for a new thing. He is in the restoration business. He is bringing about the renewal of all things. And God is inviting you to be a part of this new thing. He wants you and your life through the power of the Holy Spirit to be a sign of the coming kingdom of God. Are you willing to join him? Are you willing to look beyond the suffering and the darkness of this world, clinging to hope, longing for the restoration of all things through the coming kingdom of God? What suffering do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus today? What burdens do you need to let go of so that you can fully embrace the hope and the coming of Christ. Where do you need hope to show up in the midst of your darkness? Now, if you are a woman here today, and any of the things that I mentioned about the original curse resonated with you, infertility, severe monthly cramps, disease, anything else related to the curse from Genesis 3, In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are, and we are no longer going to let the shame of that curse or the effects of that curse dominate our lives. I want you to stand as a sign declaring that God's power is bigger than your pain or your issues. God's doing a new thing, and we're not going to let the curse of Genesis 3 define our lives. We're going to pray for divine, miraculous deliverance and healing as a sign of the coming kingdom of God. So, ladies, if any of this today resonated with you, I want you to be bold, and I want you to stand as a declaration that the enemy will not have a foothold that we're going to kick the devil in the teeth. Amen. I want you to stand right now, standing with me, declaring that the curse of Genesis 3 is not going to have its hold on any of us. If you're standing near one of these women, I just want you to extend a hand. Um, if you know them well, you can place your hand on their arm or their back, and we're going to pray together. God, we approach your throne, your holy, righteous throne, and we declare today that we will stand on your promises. We will stand on your truth. We will stand on your righteousness today. And we will say that the curse of Genesis 3 will no longer have bearing over any of the bodies represented in this room today, Lord all of these women standing, declaring boldly. We will not let Genesis 3 define us. We will not let the curse that Eve has passed down to all of us define our life today. We will allow you, Jesus, to have the final word. We will allow your power to bring about healing. We will allow your power to bring about deliverance from our bodies. So, God, wherever there has been the curse of infertility, We cancel it right now in Jesus' name. We say, you are gone. Wherever there has been extreme pain or severe issues, God, we cancel all of that right now in Jesus' name. We declare that you have the final say, that you have the healing power, that you can deliver our bodies from the bondage that we have been in, that you are a light in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome you, Jesus. And God, we just pray right now, we just pray com- complete healing over these bodies. We pray complete redemption. We pray that there would be births coming out of this moment because of your powerful healing in people's bodies. We pray that pain would be gone in Jesus' name, all as a sign of your kingdom coming, all as a sign that points to you, Jesus, Jesus having ultimate power and authority over all things. And so we declare today, today in this moment that there will be miracles happen, that there would be testimonies of healing, that there would be testimonies of your power at work, God. We declare that today. And we say that Genesis three will no longer define us. Only you, your resurrection, your blood, your blood defines us today, Jesus nothing else. We surrender our lives to you, and we thank you in advance, God. We thank you right now for all the miracles that you will bring about. We thank you for the healing that you're doing. We thank you for the deliverance that you're making happen today in Jesus' name. We just thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. I pray that everyone in this room would see themselves as a sign of the kingdom of God, that we would rise up as a church body to point to you, Jesus, as the, the, rest, the restorer of all things. You are in the restoration business. Like, you are going to renew all things. God, help us be a church that rises up and points to you making all things new, God. May we all carry that mantle. May we all stand in your power today, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for what you're doing, that you're doing a new thing, an old hope for a new thing. God, praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord.